Whether you're a skeptic or a believer, join me, Rob McConnell, as together we'll investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here on the Exxon Radio TV show on XZBN and the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV. Since 1990, the Exxon Radio TV show has been the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Together, we'll investigate UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, psychic phenomena, lake monsters, conspiracy theories, government cover-ups, the truth embargo, alien abductions, ESP, haunted locations from around the world, and so much more. With over 28 years of broadcasting and more than 4,500 individual guests, the X-Zone is truly a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, as evidenced by the credibility, integrity, and professionalism of the guests that we bring to our international audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, Exone Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.exxonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember X-Zone Nation. Keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. Welcome to the Connecting with Coincidence radio show with Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD, bringing together the world's synchronicity experts to help you use meaningful coincidences to develop spiritually, psychologically, and practically. For more information, put Connecting with Coincidence into your web browser to find the book, website, Psychology Today blog, YouTube channel, and Facebook page. And now, here is the host of the Connecting with Coincidence radio show, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. Yes, yes, yes. Welcome to CC with BB. Yes, I am Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD, and this is Connecting with Coincidences. Coincidences are part of living life. Every once in a while, a story writer becomes enmeshed with an eerily predictive coincidence. Their written words coincide with real life after they have written their story. These are not journalists describing what has already happened, but rather they are somehow tuned in to information about events they, they don't know are about to happen. Fiction becomes real life. Among the most famous of these coincidences involve Morgan Robertson, who wrote a book in 1898 entitled Futility. His novel described the maiden voyage of a transatlantic luxury liner named Titan. Although it, the, bo the boat was touted as being unsinkable, the ship struck an iceberg and sank with much loss of life. In 1912, 
The Titanic, a transatlantic luxury liner widely touted as unsinkable, struck an iceberg on her maiden voyage and sunk with great loss of life in the North Atlantic. In Robertson's book, the disaster took place in April, just as it did in the real life story. In the book, there were 3,000 passengers aboard the ship on the Titanic 2200. There were a lot of other details, like almost the same number of lifeboats between reality and fiction. Statistics are difficult to apply to this remarkable coincidence. Too many details correlate. The author did know about shipbuilding because he worked in the merchant marine. He was a sailor. And he knew, had to know of danger lurking in the cold northern Atlantic Ocean, but something more than logic led him to the richness of detail that correlated with the actual event. He predicted the sinking of the Titanic without realizing it. Somehow, he may have tuned into the flow of human arrogance and power to provide a written mirror of the future. He knew something, but he didn't know how he knew. Art unknowingly initiated life. John Ironmonger is a British novelist and is our guest today who has written a novel something like what happened with the Titanic, but he and I, as as you will see, differ on what happened, on how to understand it. Um, John lives in northwest England. He grew up in Kenya and trained as a zoologist, earning a Ph.D. in animal ecology from the University of Liverpool. In his novel, Coincidence, which is one of the focuses of uh, foci of our discussion today, explores the issues around unexplainable events. John Ironmonger is married to Sue, has two grown-up children, three grandchildren, and yes, John is still writing and still writing very well. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you very much for having me, and it's, uh, it's nice to be on. Would you tell us uh, one of your summaries of your novel, The Coincidence Authority, or Coincidence, which is what has brought us together here? Uh, yes, I'm very happy to, and, and I, I'm, I was just a little bit um, worried at your opening remarks when you say you talk to experts on synchronicity, and, uh, and, uh, and I'm glad you kind of cleared up the fact that I'm, I'm really just a storyteller. I'm not really an expert on synchronicity, and uh, I'm quite looking forward to talking to an expert because I haven't spoken to many. But uh, um, So yes, Coincidence, it's, um, it, it was a novel I wrote in, in about 2011, and um, I, um, I was at that time as a writer where I, I was hunting around for ideas like writers often do, and I had the idea of... Um, of a love story really between two very different people who had two very different uh, understandings of the world of the universe. And uh, one one of them would be somebody who might be a little bit like me, who was very rational, who who thought that, you know, everything had an explanation. And uh, and the other person would be a little bit more mystic, would be, um, would perhaps think that everything happened for a reason. And that was the, the kind of love story that was the center of the book, Coincidence. Um, and I made the the principal protagonist, Thomas Post is his name, I made him an expert in coincidences um, because it seemed to me that, that that sort of fitted in the kind of scientific, rational, um, professorial kind of persona that I wanted to create for him. Uh-huh. Uh, and Azalea, who is the love interest, really is a person for whom uh, coincidences have been part of her life. She feels as if she's been blighted by coincidences and every every turn she makes there seems to be a coincidence waiting for her she's become used to them in her life and um and why do you, why do you why do you say blighted 
Or maybe blighted wasn't the right word. It's the word I used in the novel because she feels that the coincidences haven't always ended up well for her. Well, they, um, they, and they don't. But I, I think the, your use of the word blighted is part of what I enjoy about talking with you is that you have a kind of skeptical look at coincidences. And it's a more on a negative side. And, and that's the fun of this because you are the rational one in all this. <laughs> but it is very true. And I try to make the point that all coincidences aren't wonderful, that uh, they do cause trouble if you don't pay attention to what their implications might be. That's right. And I, and, I, and I guess part of the story and the way that the story un, unfolds in the novel is uh, that Azalea has a pattern of coincidences in her past, which is that she's lost a family member every 10 years on Midsummer's Day. Um, and uh, and now she's the only one left in her family. There's a Midsummer's Day coming uh, and she feels that she is destined to die on the same day. And that's part of the 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 coincidence that obsesses them and when thomas goes to work out the the mathematics behind this it's hundreds of millions to one um and he becomes obsessed by it and and uh, and and we have to kind of follow the novel through to see how that all plays out um but uh, it, it in researching the novel i mean it, it was it was fascinating to read a lot about coincidence and to learn a lot about coincidence and to understand that it's a it, it, it's a more complicated uh, field than I'd ever imagined it was going to be. I, I'd really come to it thinking that it was just probability theory. This was just the throw of a dice. But it's, uh, but it's clearly a lot more involved than that. And well, um, that's the that's the point I'm trying to make. Um, that there's there's more involved with it than that. Um, the 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 fun part that got us to talk with each other is that uh, your professor uh, Thomas Post, who was an English professor. Uh, and a philosopher in, in your story um, had some resemblances to a real life uh, professor, <laughs> uh, David Hand, who, who you'd never met. Um, and although we can argue about what it means um, in the novel and David, the professor in the novel and David Hand both had the same birthday. Yes, I, I hadn't met David Hand. I hadn't heard of him at that time. He I know you've spoken to him on your show, and uh, and I've spoken to him now since the novel came out. But at the time, he published his first book on coincidence, which was an academic book on coincidence, about the same time that I published my novel. So I hadn't come across him at all. Um, and he contacted me, he dropped me an email to say, you know, he'd, he'd been given a copy of my book. And and was I aware that there were all these these um, curious coincidences between his life as a as a real life coincidence authority, if you like, and uh, and the life of my protagonists. They were both professors at London universities. They both specialized in coincidences. They were both married, or in the case of Thomas Post, not married, but uh, they were both living with uh, um, someone who taught at uh, Birkbeck College, which was uh, you know another university in London, and that's a strange coincidence. And then it turned out that they both shared the same birthday, which I think was was quite remarkable. So um, yes, it was, it was curious to discover that, and I hadn't met David before. And uh, uh, and we still haven't met. We've spoken on the phone. Uh, um, you live so far apart from each other. That's true. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Jolly old England. The, 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 I, I didn't know that part of the story that David Hand contacted you after someone gave him your book. So someone was was 
someone else, including David Hand, was touched by the, 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 the several overlaps between your professor and David Hand. And I think it was a publisher. I think the, one of the, you know, our publishers, uh, we don't share the same publisher, but I think we're in the same publishing group. And uh, somebody spotted the fact that my book, it, which in, in the UK was called The Coincidence Authority, sounded a little bit like David and gave him a gave him a copy of it and he dropped me an email and uh, and we picked up from there it was quite interesting to to discover those things that I that I had never I had never imagined there was a real professor studying coincidences I don't know why I would never have thought that but I I, I kind of thought that I'd invented the uh, invented the job description one of the points that uh, I continue to try to make is that there are that when we think something that is unique, just as you just described, and you have invented this unique professor, um, that it's probably going to be there. There's going to be someone who else who has thought about the same idea, or there might be an actuality. I had the same thing happen with a, a, a term, I, a similar thing, a term I made up um, called simulpathity, uh, meaning the feeling of the pain of a loved one at a distance. Right. It's, and and this is commonly reported as my research has shown. So I invented this in about 2013, and I had looked on the internet to see if there was a word like that, and there wasn't. And then in 2016, after my book came out, uh, I started looking, and uh, there was a small, a short movie called Simulpathity, and I I contacted the person who did the movie by Facebook, and no, he'd never heard of me. Uh, he'd never heard the term. He had thought he made it up himself. And it's a this, great story. Thank you. And it, it's, it suggests that we are all part of a, at least a collective consciousness in sharing more ideas than we are thinking about, than we know. Uh, we're, we're coming to the end of, of this segment, and we're, we're having a delightful conversation with John Ironmonger, who wrote the novel Coincidence and uh, made up a professor who seems to be somewhat real. It's hard to listen to the news without realizing we're living in volatile, unprecedented times. Yet never has there been such an opportunity to transform the human condition. As old structures fail, where can we find the guidance to co-create a better way? Find Your Path Home is an ever-evolving, leading-edge information, education, and healing resource center designed to support and guide you on your path to unity and enlightenment. Based on sound principles employed by shaman worldwide, we provide techniques that can support you through the current transitions, offering online shamanic classes, international long-distance shamanic healing sessions, complimentary Mission Evolution radio episodes and Stairway to Heaven TV vignettes, seminars, retreats, and much more. All of this can be found on findyourpathhome.com. So I was watching the X-Zone TV channel last night when I was abducted by aliens and they kept repeating to me over and over again, Simultv.com, Simultv.com. What's Simultv.com? That's what I asked them. They had it written on the side of their UFO. How do you spell that? UFO. No, I mean Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Right. 
SIMULTV.com. Interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a SIMULTV.com UFO last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now that you mention it, I remember now last night I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about SIMULTV.com. She even spelled it out for me. SIMULTV.com, Sonny Boy. SIMULTV.com. SIMULTV.com, Sonny Boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. SIMULTV.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about SIMULTV.com. SIMULTV.com. Shamanic healing is the key to personal empowerment. Why? All four levels of our being physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual, must be addressed for us to enjoy balanced, healthy, abundant lives. Yet there are few provisions for spiritual or energetic healing. Shamanism, found at the root of all cultures, is a very effective spiritual healing modality. To find quality shamanic healing you can trust, regardless of where you live, look no further than find your Path Home Long Distance Shamanic Healing Program. All Path Home Long Distance Healing Practitioners have been trained and certified through Path Home Shamanic Heart School. Change your life. Live abundantly. Schedule a long-distance shamanic healing session with Gwilda Wiecka or one of her quality practitioners today at findyourpathhome.com. Welcome back to CC with BB. I am your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD, and we are talking with John Ironmonger, who has written a book called The Coincidence Authority or Coincidence and um, made, up a, a, an, made up a professor who has some real-life uh, analogs with a uh, professor also in London and other things that are similar between the two. Jo- John, I'd like to know about your conversation with David Hand, who is this statistician with whom your protagonist resembles so much. <laughs> well, I mean, I think we, I've, I've given you most of the detail. I don't think there were any gr- other great coincidences that came out of it. And it would have been nice had there been more, you know, had his wife had the same name or, uh, you know, had he been born in the same place. In the end, I think it's, it, for me, it was one of those interesting things that, uh, you know, the coincidence of the birth dates was great. Um, and, you know, I think we as humans are very good at spotting those sort of things and being, uh, you know, being surprised by them and uh, and and delighted by them, um, and we rather overlook all the, you know, the hundred and one other things that uh, that probably don't match, you know, like the fact that uh, that you know they were born in different places at different ages, you know, the different generations, in fact, uh, and all those other things. But it 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 um, it doesn't take away from it being a good story. It's a it's a it's a good story, and for our listeners, I I want uh, I want them to know that you and I have uh, conversed before, and that you have uh, a, a David Hand um, perspective on coincidences, um, and that's the way you almost set up the novel that you wanted somebody who was a protagonist who thought something like you versus Azalea who did not thought quite differently. So that was the tension you were setting up. So that, I want that is the that is the tension, and I guess towards the end of the novel, you know, both parties come closer to the other one's way of thinking without trying to take too much away from, from the story. But I suspect that, uh, that you know, like most of these stories, you know, you start from one extreme and you end up somewhere in the middle. Yeah, 
Yeah. And what, what about you? Um, how did the David Hand uh, similarities with your professor um, strike you? Did you become more in the middle, too? <laughs> um, I don't know that it really changed my view. Yeah, that's what I, thought. <laughs> that's what I thought. I think, and, and I think, you know, I, I like the story that you opened the show with, the story of, of Titan, and I'd rather forgotten about that coincidence. And I, I when, when you when you um, opened the show by saying you were going to talk about a uh, uh, you know a famous story from a novel, I thought you were going to, to pick on the um, the story of Richard Parker, and, I, and I'm sure you know that one from the the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket. Yes. And this was the 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 cabin boy that was eaten by in the book in the novel was eaten by um, his uh, shipmates when they were uh, shipwrecked. And, uh, and, and, and that, again, seemed to be foreshadowing something that happened some years later when a real ship called the Mignonette sank. And yes. they ate a real cabin boy, and his name was Richard Parker. Yeah. Um, and and, and, and th those sort of coincidences are lovely when you hear them. They make great stories. And, I mean, it wasn't lovely for the poor cabin boy, but, um, but, but they do make great stories. And I think we as human beings have a delight in those um, but again, we tend to ignore all the hundreds of others. You know, there, there are probably dozens of cabin boys that have been eaten who, who weren't called Richard Parker. Um, maybe they weren't, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I that's what I like about some of these arguments, uh, because because I with the sinking of the Titan, uh, I suggest that maybe we should be looking at how many novels were written between 1875 and 1925 that predicted disasters that didn't happen sure sure so so we got to get we you can get a base rate for how often that happens but even if you get a base rate and and what kind of what how low a probability do you need before you start looking for other explanations and i do not have an answer from david hand on that one no no i mean th there's another story which i tell in the book which i'm sure you'll be very familiar with and, and it's probably more better known this side of the water, which is to do with a crossword compiler in in the Second World War. And he, um, it, for the Daily Telegraph newspaper, and words started appearing in the crossword that seemed to um, be code words from the D-Day landing. So he, the, all the words of the, of the five D-Day landing beaches like Juno and Sword and Gold appeared in the crosswords on the days before the D-Day landings, um, and they were followed by some of the other keywords like Mulberry, and um, and I, I can't remember them all. There were several of them, and I, the the chances of that happening were, were phenomenally small. Something like you know a quarter of a billion to to one against that happening. The War Office spoke to Leonard Dore and and decided it was just a coincidence. But um, for my, for the protagonist in the book, and and obviously in real life. If you look at a coincidence of that magnitude, you kind of figure it can't be a coincidence. There are some coincidences which is just so big that something else must have been involved. And and it turns out in historical fact that actually something else was involved. Leonard Dore was just a crossword compiler, but he was also a school teacher and billeted it the school where he was teaching. There were American soldiers who were involved with the D-Day landings and they were feeding some of these words to the boys and the boys were helping Leonard Dorr fill in the crosswords and uh, and that was how the words got in. So it was one of those things where you start off thinking it's a coincidence, but it's such a big coincidence that you need to go and look for another explanation. Yes. Uh, 
and I and I do rather enjoy those. Yes, uh, it's it's fun to see those that look so low probability, but then you find the details that give you a better idea of how it happened. But that's what the low probability, I think, is intended to make us do, is look for more explanation. And there, that one was a, was a more real-world explanation. But you can't, you, you can't um, disavow the idea that uh, the school teacher still picked out certain phrases to put in there because he probably heard a bunch of them in many different ways. What made him pick those words out that the school boys were telling him? What kind of intuition, I'm going to say, allowed him to pick up the right words to put into the crossword puzzles? And you know what? I haven't thought about that until you mentioned it to me now. And thinking about it now, uh, it, uh, that makes sense. That makes a great deal of sense that actually perhaps he wasn't quite as innocent as we've always imagined him. You know, maybe he was being a bit mischievous and deliberately putting some of these words in, um, which would have made it even less of a coincidence. But uh, but it but the the message of the story for me is that, you know, if, if, the, if the coincidence is too great, then you need to go and have a look at it because maybe it isn't a coincidence after all. Precisely what I'm saying. Yes. It's yeah. just it's it's that. I, I will just you uh, say, say you as maybe a, not a strong man, but really that you have a limited range of what you will accept as an explanation. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm probably not such a skeptic as, as David Hand. And I, I think David says that he's never really had any great coincidences happen to him. And, uh, um, and, and, and I think you've also spoken to another David, David Spiegelhalter, who who is also a bit of a coincidence authority over here. And, um, and again, a, a name I hadn't come across before I published the book. And, uh, and I, I discovered him, I heard him being interviewed on the radio uh, oh. as I was driving. I thought, good, good Lord, this, this chap sounds like Thomas Post. And he, uh, and he was talking about coincidences and he was, he'd just been appointed the, some kind of government advisor on, uh, on, on science and, and I thought, oh, I, I really ought to write to this guy. He's another coincidence authority. This is two, you know, uncovered in a, in a matter of months. Um, uh, and I didn't write to him. Uh, and I got a call from a friend, uh, a very close friend, a chap called Adrian Penrose, who's been my, a friend of mine, a friend of the family for years. And he said, John, I've just given a copy of your book to a good friend of mine because he, he's really into coincidences. And I said, oh, well, that's great that you did that. Thanks very much, Adrian. And he said, his name's David Spiegelhalter. I'm like, oh no, I just been listening to him on the radio. I was just thinking of getting a book to him. How how would I do it? So yes, these coincidences when they happen, they they they're lovely. Yeah, they're lovely. And to me there are more they are become more likely than we know. Um, because once you start stirring up the coincidence pot, uh, and and I do that. Um, I, I get people thinking about them, then they start seeing more of them. And what you did was stir up, uh, in, you know, inadvertently, really, uh, coincidence thinking. And then there you had both guys, uh, Dave, both Davids, uh, contacting you in one form or another through the radio. And yeah, then, I guess. Then through yeah. a friend of yours. Um, and then this, these are... This is this is the clustering that I find so interesting, um, and I don't I, I I see that there are these these things are slow, such low probability of having such a cluster in such a short period of time that there's more going on than just 
um, what than just something on the surface. But I'm not going to try to argue that about this one because there are other ways of explaining them that might be useful, except that you turn on a radio and there's David Spiegelhalter. That, that one is one of those uh, radio coincidences that I pay some attention to because a lot of people get good information that way uh, by accidentally turning on the radio or going on to a computer. But then you can say, that's uh, th there's so many of times you turn on the radio that something is going to happen because uh, there's so many events that are possible. And that's uh, I can't argue with that. And and that's kind of what the radio is for. I mean, it's 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 kind of there to give you a range of different voices, you know, and provoke provoking you with new ideas and and all those things. So, you know, if you didn't get uh, if you didn't stumble across some interesting ideas and interesting people from time to time, it wouldn't be doing its job very well. It really wouldn't be. Um, uh, well, we're coming to the end of this segment, and what I hope to get to in the next segment is also the coincidences that your book stimulated. <laughs> uh, I look forward to that. Uh, okay. It's because they are there. They are there too. And so my point is, you start pushing on coincidences, and they start happening. They do. You're listening to Connecting with Coincidence. I'm your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD, on the Exxon Broadcast Network. And our guest today is John Ironmonger, who is the author of the novel, The Coincidence Authority. a skeptic or a believer, join me, Rob McConnell, as together we'll investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here on the Exxon Radio TV show on XZBN and the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV. Since 1990, the Exxon Radio TV show has been the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Together, we'll investigate UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, psychic phenomenon, lake monsters, conspiracy theories, government cover-ups, the truth embargo, alien abductions, ESP, haunted locations from around the world, and so much more. With over 28 years of broadcasting and more than 4,500 individual guests, the X-Zone is truly a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, as evidenced by the credibility, integrity, and professionalism of the guests that we bring to our international audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, X-Zone Radio TV. For more information on the X-Zone Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.xzoneradiotv.com or www.xzonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember X-Zone Nation, keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light.
Okay, welcome. I, I, I do like to sing, but we got to do the show. So welcome to CC with BB. I am your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. And we're talking with John Ironmonger, who's written a book called A Coincidence Authority or Just Plain Coincidence here on the other side of the pond. And uh, John, uh, I, as you've heard me say, and I'm going to say it again, that once you start stirring the coincidence pot, you start seeing more coincidences. So your book generated some responses, including uh, the connections with the two David, uh, the two David statisticians. <laughs> but it also did some other things. Could you tell us some of those other stories that happened around your book? Sure. Well, I, I, I can tell you the story which I, I, I think I posted on your blog, which is um, – when the book was was due to be published, you know the publishers um, are always looking around for some publicity, and and uh, so my editor called me, um, a lady called Kirsty Dunsey, she called me, and she said, "We're going to set up a website, John, and it's going to um, ask people to to uh, write in their own ideas of coincidences, and we're going to kind of use that to promote the book." And I said, "I think that's great. That's a great idea." And she said, "Can you think of a good coincidence that's happened to you that you could use to?" Um, promote the book and you know, I, I really could not and I, and I and I sort of sweated trying to think of the the best coincidence I had was you know I once bumped into my aunt on an airplane and it was which which was a great coincidence at the time you know she's my my mother's sister we were both flying to Johannesburg and it's like oh my goodness you know what are you doing here uh, so it was one of those coincidences but you know really is that sort of thing that's going to excite people on a website I really didn't think it was um, so um, I was at that time researching for my for my next book, and the, the next book is uh, and was called "Not Forgetting the Whale," and it's a it's a sort of story about the collapse of civilization. And I was reading a a book uh, called "Collapse" by Jared Diamond, and uh, and I know a lot of your readers may have heard of Jared Diamond. He's uh, you know Pulitzer Prize winner, uh, uh, an author of a great many um, um, books, cultural books really, and um, and "Collapse" is is a is a sort of in depth big heavy book actually about how civilizations collapse and I, and I thought I I need I need advice from Jared Diamond I'm going to write him an email and ask him tell him the kind of central conceit of my novel and see if he thinks it makes sense so I sat down and I wrote an email I wrote about I kept it as short as I could about a page and I didn't have Jared Diamond's email address because who does so I I tried to guess it and i'm usually quite good at guessing email addresses you know jared.diamond at uc i know he was a professor at ucla ucla.org and various other things like that uh, j.diamond and uh, none of them worked they all came back to me and after about five or six attempts i gave up and um went on holiday uh, about a few days later with my wife my wife and i went on holiday to to sumatra to indonesia uh, we were we were looking for rhinos that's a whole other story but um, we went to look for, we were looking for Sumatran rhinos in, in Sumatra. We stayed in a very tiny little lodge uh, in a place called Wakambas on the island of Sumatra, which is a, a kind of remote forest uh, where there's some very, very remote chance of seeing Sumatran rhinos. And uh, we were staying in this lodge and there were two other people staying there. And one of them was an American and one was an Australian. And we all shared a table for dinner and uh, sitting around having dinner on the first day asking what, you know, what do you do? What do you do? And the guy said, well, you know, I'm a, I'm an academic, I'm a writer. And I said, Oh really, what's your name? And he said, Jared Diamond. I, said, I can't believe it. <laughs> I've just been trying to write you an email. And I, here I am bumping into you in, uh, 
in the middle of Sumatra. So I think that was that was an astonishing coincidence. I, I was quite um, taken back by that. And he turned yeah. out to be a very nice chap. And uh, despite the fact that he was eating durian fruit, which were very smelly. But, um, <laughs> what what um, how, how do you go about with your rational mind explaining that one? <laughs> I, I think that's just one of those really strange ones. I, I wouldn't even I wouldn't recognize Jared Diamond. I don't know if I'd ever seen a photograph of him. There was probably a photograph on the dust jacket, but I, I don't think I'd particularly looked at it. Um, I, I just knew him by reputation as a, you know, academic um, uh, and, and the writer of books like Guns and Steel and and obviously Collapse. And uh, well, you're um, not you're not answering my question. You're just describing what you know about him <laughs> or don't. How I, I know, it... but but my point is my point is I probably wouldn't have recognised him in a crowd. So just no. to sort of end up sitting in yeah. a, in a very remote little jungle lodge with a guy you've just been trying to write an email to, for me that was that was. Um, a bit of a jaw-dropping moment. I, yeah, it, I don't know if I can rationalize that. I think that's you, just one well, of those really strange curveballs that life throws you. That's... <laughs> oh, rational. How you rationalists <laughs> think, think. I mean, that's the one where, where David Hand throws up his hands yeah. <laughs> and says, oh, in large populations, any weird thing can happen. Well, of course. And I mean, you know, we're all we're all products of extraordinary low probability. The fact that we're even here, you know, that you and I are talking on this call is, is an extraordinarily low probability. But you can't you can't retroactively analyze these things. You know, if they've happened, they've happened. That's um, right. That's right. And that's that's the statistician's perspective. And I love it. If they happen, they happened. Yes. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Uh, but if they happen and there's a probability you can say about it, then that's enough. And that's yeah. that's the contradiction that I enjoy having to deal with. And I'm I'm not really trying to change your mind because I don't think no, I'm, no. Go I'm going I, to. And I don't I don't know that. I mean, I, I, I can't say put my hand on my heart and say that, you know, there wasn't something else involved here, you know, but but I can't imagine what it might be. Yes. I can't so, imagine what, that's my what, that's yeah. my job. That's my job is helping you imagine what it might be. And I, I there is in my mind and just a lot of other people with stories very much like what you just described that are hard, hard to explain, but suggest that we are participating in a group mind that's larger than just our own or the people who are around us. So that's, you've come across Rupert Sheldrake's theory of is it morphic resonance? Is yeah, he was really? on the. He was on the show a couple of weeks oh, ago. Oh, was he? Oh, I beg your pardon. I had no idea. So, yes, yeah, so I, I, I was kind of seduced by that idea for a while. It just sounded like a rather fun idea, the idea that actually everything in the universe is in some way connected. Uh, you know, so if you press down here, then, you know, you, it pops up somewhere else. Well, that, that, Rupert would argue that that's not what he's telling you. Oh, isn't it? Oh, dear. Oh, no, okay. no, no. That's, that's way beyond anything he would talk about. Uh, okay. all, all he says is nature has a memory so that once a pattern is established, it's more likely to be repeated more quickly than it was when it first started. Yes. That's it. That's it. And it's about crystals and microorganisms and human beings and other, other animal behavior. Once it gets started, and he doesn't know how it gets started, it get, there's a cascading effect so that other animals like it pick it up or other crystals start crystallizing more quickly than they had before. I think, that, I, I think the idea is that once the universe has invented something, 
that becomes easier for it to invent it again. Yeah, that's another um, way of saying it. Yes. Yeah. 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 I, I I don't know if I wholly buy into the idea, but it's an interesting one. Yeah, and and what he came up with is morphic fields. Uh, but what I'm the, I'm talking about something that's like morphic fields, but it's a little more general than that. It's that uh, human minds are more connected. I call it a psychosphere that, that is our mental atmosphere, and we put ideas into it, and we take ideas from it. And one of the things that drives an event like what happened to you in Sumatra is human need or intention. Emotion charging a desired future helps to create coincidences. How that happens? is still open for discussion because I don't have good answers yet but it's your need and desire that helped make that happen as a beginning part of the explanation and group mind sure I mean I think I think yeah and, and I and I wouldn't like to try and calculate the odds of what happened to me happening but I, but you know I would say that you'd have to say how many people might I have bumped into in Sumatra that would have been equally surprising for me? And it, obviously, you know, Jared Dama was surprising because I just tried to write him an email. But there may have been, you know, a couple of dozen others who I might, you know, I might equally have said, you know, I was trying to contact you, or, you know, we've not been in touch, or, or you know, who knows how other many people that I would have been equally surprised to meet. The proximity, um, the proximity and time of your need for him, the effort you put out to find him is what I'm suggesting increase the probability of running into him. With your aunt running into her on the plane, that is a much more common and more easily to explain coincidence where you run into people you know, and it could be anybody that you know on the plane because you're part of the same socioeconomic group and you and you do the same kinds of things so you're more likely to run into them but yeah. this but jared diamond is not part of your socioeconomic group economic group it's somebody who was very firmly in your mind as someone you very much wanted to make contact with he was unique in the group of people that you might have run into that's true i hadn't i hadn't appreciated when i read his book and i and i not until i met him did i appreciate that he's he's an enormously keen Bird watcher. He's an ornithologist, and apparently he has written books and uh, and things about about birds, particularly birds of paradise in in Papua New Guinea and places like that. And so, for him to be in Sumatra wasn't actually that unusual. He this particular lodge where we were staying, you know, he'd stayed there uh, several times before, and he in fact he was staying there for for you know two or three weeks. We were just dropping by for two or three days. So um, the key him, question, him, the key him question, him being there, there was on him being there yeah. was was not yeah. particularly unusual <laughs> but your being there Me being was. there was unusual yeah this that, for us this was a kind of holiday of a lifetime you know we we would do we would only do this once and probably never go back the base so, rate for his being there was much higher the probability yeah. of his being there much higher than your being there indeed indeed and, it was yeah and you multiply those two if you can talk about a base rate yours is very low hers is his, <laughs> his is higher but then to do it at the same time and one of the fun things about David Hand is they don't include time. We've come to we've come to the end of this segment. You're listening to Connecting with Coincidence. I'm your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD, on the Exxon Broadcast Network. We're having a delightful conversation with John Ironmonger.
If you are looking for a safe, zero-calorie, natural option to the harmful artificial sweeteners on the market today, Just Like Sugar is what you're looking for. Just Like Sugar is a wonderful natural alternative for those health-conscious people who choose a calorie-restricted diet with a great, pure, sweet flavor that tastes just like sugar. Just Like Sugar is a great natural option for people suffering from diabetes and may be useful in restricted diet programs where standard sugars are not allowed and does not cause a laxative effect of some other sweeteners. Just Like Sugar comprises a perfect blend of chicory root fiber, natural calcium, natural vitamin C, and Just Like Sugar's sweetness comes from the natural flavors from the peel of the orange. Just Like Sugar is a natural alternative to harmful artificial sweeteners and will change the way that you believe all natural sweetener products taste. Just Like Sugar is available at your local Whole Foods markets, Wild Oats markets, Henry's, Sun Harvest, and many other fine natural food stores in the U.S., Canada, and worldwide. They are here, and they've been here for thousands of years, making their presence known in the shadows. They might be seen by a lonely motorist on a deserted road late at night, or by a frightened and confused husband in the bedroom he is sharing with his wife. But who are they? What do they want? Why are they here? Perhaps most concerning, has the government been aware of their presence all along? The new book by Ellie Marzulli, UFO Disclosure, The 70-Year Cover-Up Exposed, delves into the world of UFOs. Can full disclosure be soon? Order now and receive a free hour and 37-minute DVD on the UFO phenomenon, UFOs Are Real. Get both the book and the DVD, a $40 value, for only $19.99. To order your book and DVD today, go to lamarzuli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I dot net. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simo TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide 15 exclusive channels like Exxon, Sci Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world, interactive online network, and much more. Tomorrow's TV today, Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. Memorable dynamic presentations are a not so secret weapon in the business world. Do you have a powerful message that must be shared, but you haven't found a way to deliver that message? Do you want to be known as a top public speaker who gets amazing results? Are you ready to create and deliver your powerful message? Thomas Hides can help you create and deliver your speech to get the results you desire. Visit iconquality.com. Did you expect your business to flourish, but instead it plateaued or didn't get off the ground yet? Would you like to achieve massive goals and discover new sources of income within your business? When you're ready to experience that type of success with fast results, Cindy Hendricks is the business coach for you. Her work with entrepreneurs and business owners has been life-changing. To get you and your business where you want to be, go to imaginemoresuccess.com. 
Has the fear of public speaking stalled your business or personal life? What would you give to develop and maintain supreme confidence? Have an invaluable private program to always perform at your best. Imagine how you would feel. You can have all that and so much more today with Thomas Hyde's life-changing course called Number One Fear Unleashed. Visit NumberOneFear.com and be liberated from your fear of public speaking. Welcome, welcome back, welcome back to CC with BB. I am your host, Dr. Bertie Bite, Man MD. We're talking with John Ironmonger, and we've just gone to Sumatra with John, and uh, brought up toward at the end of the segment that the there, the probability of John running into somebody he was seeking to meet um, was could be calculated by the probability of John's being there with his wife and and this other guy being there with his with his companion. But what David Hand and other statisticians don't include is not just the base rate, the probabilities multiplied of, of John being there and the other guy being there, but the timing of it is so crucial. You could have been there two days earlier or two days later, uh, and you would have, might have missed him. And yeah. that, that timing has to be included in the probability estimate, but I, I can't get the the Dave, two David statisticians <laughs> to like uh, think that's something relevant because they do, they pro, they only multiply the base rates. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, and, and of course the timing is is critical, absolutely critical, and and in, in, it is in the novel as well. So I mean, I think in you know there are there's discussions in my novel that the two characters have about. Um, you know, whether timing is relevant, you know, she's, she's expecting to die on Midsummer's Day and he is like, well, you know, what's so special about Midsummer's Day? You know, it, it, only, it kind of, it only depends upon where we place the, the leap year day, you know, and, um, uh, and, you know, it's 10 years that significant. That's only really because we have 10 fingers on the hand. It's not a particularly significant number, but, but obviously, you know, timing is, timing is important. And, uh, and, and you're right without the timing that, that would have never, if it had been there, you know, a few days later and Jared Diamond had left, I'd have never known he'd been there. And, you know, that would have been it. That would have been it. And yeah. what, what I'm trying to figure out is how do we include the timing in the probability estimate of your running into Jared Diamond? And you don't have an answer for that. I don't, I don't have an answer. I'm not a statistician. And, Thank goodness. And, <laughs> well, I just now that you bring that up, when I, when I talk with David uh, Spiegelhalter, um, it, one of my favorite things he says was, was like, trying to find explanations for, for these events is not good for your mental health. <laughs> oh, I'm not so sure about that. I think, I, I, think, uh, I think we have to try and find explanations for them. I, I think one of the timing ones, one of the timing coincidences that kind of amuses me, and I know you, you've come across it an awful long, is that the coincidence that Shakespeare and Cervantes who were the greatest writers in the English language and the Spanish language, both died on the same day, um, and which was the 23rd of April, 1616, wasn't it? 1616. And and that's a great coincidence until you dig a little bit deeper and you find out that actually we didn't quite operate the same calendar then, did we? We had the, the Gregorian calendar in Spain and the Julian calendar in England, so actually they died 10 days apart. But it would have been a great coincidence if... Uh, if that hadn't have happened, um, the the uh, July fourth, um, eighteen twenty five coincidence of two American presidents who 
uh, were participating in the development of uh, the John Adams and Thomas Jefferson. Was it? They both died on the same day, didn't they? Was that? Yeah. Yeah. Was that, was, when was that? Eighteen. Uh, July fourth. <laughs> yeah. July fourth, yeah, but... eighteen twenty-five. Uh, but, but. That depend that but this coincidence was supposed to be that they died on the same day of the signing of the Declaration of Independence, except yeah. that the Declaration of Independence was actually signed on July third. July. Yeah, <laughs> it's when it's they just, and, but that's when Independence Day is celebrated is July fourth. So you can pick what you want, um, and. I think there is a bit of volition involved with the second death because one of them asked, is the other one dead yet? Because they both knew the others were dying. So oh, really? There, there, okay. was a, there, was a, there was a kind of like, um, try, uh, this is the way I want to go down in history. I think there was a volitional element to it that I began to suspect. John Adams' son, John Quincy Adams, said it's God making this happen, as a lot of people like to say. Um, so there's, there's, uh, there's multiple variables that come in to making coincidences. It's not just one thing. It's not, and it's not just probability. There are other variables that you have to look at, and they add up. But there's still going to be a lot of times a mystery that we don't understand. And that's where I am with this, is that uh, we can make guesses about probability, and we can talk about timing. We can talk about other elements, volitional, because uh, I think human beings are very much involved with making these coincidences happen. They just don't happen, like yeah. with, with you you needed, wanted to see this man. And that, that's true. That contributed is what my thinking is. Maybe. I, I, I'm, I, I quite like the, I, the coincidence of Mark Twain having been born on the day that, or, or the year that Halley's Comet uh -huh. came through and, and died uh, in the same year that it came back. And, yeah. and I, I think to myself, he'd actually predicted himself that he was going to die. He, he made some comment about the fact that, you know, the universe throws up this strange event or something and 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 that make you saying about the uh, um jefferson and adams maybe one of them kind of almost chose to die and i wonder whether whether he mark twain chose to die when uh, when halley's comet came back yeah. i mean he would have been 86 so you know in, <laughs> maybe <laughs> yeah I, I it's it's another way of being remembered to make it um, to make that yeah. happen. If yeah. you have a chance to do it, why not do it on that day versus like two days later or a couple of days before? Yeah. Uh, it, it doesn't do the whole explanation, but it adds to what might be part of an explanation. And, and the, I don't know if you're familiar with dark energy and dark matter, um, that, that the universe is sure. made up of 95% stuff that we don't know what it is. Yeah, yeah. And for us to think that using our senses um, and our scientific equipment, that with only 5% really available for us to be able to analyze, that we can't really know what's going on out there. There's something else, and it's all around us. Energy, dark energy, dark matter is right here on Earth. And what roles do these play in the, what goes on in, li in our lives? I don't know, but I, I add that the mystery might be beginning to be more uncovered as we understand dark energy and dark matter. Yes, and one of the one of the things in my novel that the, the protagonist is studying really is not so much coincidence, but you know determinism and the idea that, or the question as to whether or not um, you know the 
everything that's happened in the universe since the Big Bang effectively has been predetermined because by the laws of science, you know, like like the way that uh, pool balls, you know, collide on a table. Um, in a way that could be predicted if you'd know if you know the weight and the position and the velocity of every of every ball and you know where they're all going to land um, and maybe that's you know or at least in 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 the novel that was part of what he's trying to study and where can we measure that can we find out is there any way of of designing an experiment that can say whether or not the universe is really random or whether it's acting in some way that's preordained and predetermined and and Thomas Post's solution to that was to see if he could uh, find coincidences that were so unlikely that it would say the universe was preordained. Uh, ah. And it's a great it's a great hook for a novel. But I, whether or not you could actually design such an experiment, I don't know. I'd, I'd love to see one if ever somebody did it. The, the idea of the universe being uh, like a clock was something Newton uh, was very much uh, tuned into. If you, if you knew enough of the details, you could predict anything, which makes it a kind of fate. Uh, but complexity theory and chaos theory have emerged to suggest that we really can't predict a lot of stuff. And weather is a wonderful example of it. You, you just don't know what's going to happen next. Um, and what happens next has something to do with what's going to happen afterwards. So the the... What the initial values can change just a little bit from what they were last week, and then your prediction becomes quite different from what it might have been. Yes. And, and, can, and this this is this is to try to say that we live with uncertainty, um, that it's not either or random, because there is in in uncertainty there is some order. That's what chaos theory is trying to tell us about. What do you think about all that? Um, I think. <laughs> I'm not sure about the. Um, I'm really not sure about the determined or predetermined or undetermined universe, and 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 the idea that chaos theory is so complex that at the subatomic level, you know, the laws that are that are determining the way that a particular atom moves and collides with another one, you know, yes, at the level that we're looking at it, that's very very complex, and we could never really predict it. But whether or not we can influence it, if we if we believe that we are making a free will decision in our brains, now how are we doing that? What are we, you know, in order to do that, we must be changing the way that molecules and atoms are behaving in our brains. And how are we doing that? And I think it's a philosophical question. I don't think anybody has an answer to, but it would answer if we could answer it, whether or not we are simply following a pre you know, a script that's already been written or whether we really are determining our own future. And, uh, and there, yeah. and there is fundamental belief. It's what you want to believe that becomes what the truth is. And maybe even that helps make it happen. When it comes to free will, I love the Isaac Bashiva Singer quote, uh, free will, do we have free will? He says, we have no choice. <laughs> yes, that's rather nice, isn't it? Yes. I, I, um, <laughs> I like the Dr. Seuss quote, which says, uh, you have brains in your head, you have feet in your shoes, you can steer yourself any direction you choose. <laughs> <laughs> and then the fatalist will say, the, 
one you chose is, has already been predetermined. And there's no argument about that, that, that you can't get continue to get meta to find out where, where the actual thing might be. But where I am is that we are living in an ambiguous, uncertain era, as well as most of the time, and that we can make choices that influence our future. So we're coming to the end of, of our- and Good talking to you. Thank you very much. Very, very good talking with you, John. You've been listening to list, to Connecting with Coincidence. I'm your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD, on the Exxon Broadcast Network. Our guest has been John Ironmonger. <laughs>